don't think I want to do this podcast anymore. All of, all of that pre-season optimism that saw Sale fans dreaming of a top four challenge dissipated immediately on Saturday as Sale were humiliated 51-23 away to Harlequins. My name is Lewis. Welcome back inside the Shark Tank. And here to conduct the post-mortem with me are Alex and James. Alex, how are you doing? Uh, relentlessly optimistic despite events, mate. James, how are you doing? Uh, well, I'm a bit, a bit sad, really. <laughs> so heartbreaking. I'm just sad. I'm just sad. You, you, before we came on the air, James, you were sort of sort of said something I thought was quite interesting about how you, you're not going to watch Sale anymore. Do you want to uh, enlighten the listeners with that? <laughs> no, I, I, I meant away from home. Um, obviously, not living in the in the region, the northwest region anymore. I'm sort of banished to watching mostly away games. And uh, it's, there's nothing worse than when you're all, and you're an away fan and you're sat on your own and you've got nothing to cheer for, especially when people clock around you that you are an away fan. Yeah, and they just they just can't get enough of it, you know. And uh, there was a moment in the game where Danny Danny Kerr had a disallowed try, and he sort of looked back at Josh Beaumont and sort of stuck his tongue out and was basically just being Danny Kerr. Um, yeah, and I was like furious because <laughs> by then I was just on the end of my tether. And everyone around me was taking the piss. I think you have absolute absolute right to be disappointed um, because let, let, let's face it, that this was a terrible start to the season for those of you who didn't catch the game Sale was sort of in it for the first half took the lead sort of towards the end of the first half 17-10 up and then the wheels started to fall off Alex have you got something to say? Oh, I was just going to say to James if he wants to see Sale win he needs to stop going and watching us away <laughs> well let's yeah. I'm, I'm going I'm to take that I'm, I'm going to take that as, as my sort of leaping uh, as my jumping off point I think because I think for me, and I've said already that I'm going to be quite quite negative on this on this podcast. This is for all the talk coming into the season about being a top six and maybe even a top four team. This is the type of game Sale absolutely absolutely had to win. And anyone who says it's too early in the season uh, and there's, there's still plenty of rugby to be played uh, and all this sort of stuff, it doesn't really mean anything. Those people shouldn't be allowed to have opinions on rugby because that, that it's just objectively wrong. This game away at Harlequins means ex- exactly the same as playing Saracens at home in March or Newcastle away in April. They all mean the same. And this was a brilliant opportunity to get off to a fast start. And if let's face it, if Sale are going to be a top six team this season, th- these are the games that they have to win. Because last season, Sale finished eighth and they had a good chance of making a top six. And that was because they beat Worcester, Irish and Northampton away. Three good away wins, and the home form, as usual, was was pretty good, sort of taking six or seven wins uh, out of the 11 on offer. Sale can do that again at home this season. I've got no doubts about that. But if Sale are genuinely thinking about taking that next step and being a genuine top six, and maybe even a top four contender, that Sale fans were getting fed before the season has been the aim from ownership down to the players, they have to be winning these games against teams that are probably going to bottom out in the lower mid-table. No disrespect to Harlequins, but coming into the season... They're a rebuilding team. They've got a new director of rugby, a new coaching staff. There's been a lot of player turnover. This this game was there for the taking. And if Sale were genuinely going to be a top four team, that would be a game that they won handedly. Instead, Sale were embarrassed. And I, and I mean, I, it was genuinely embarrassing to, following the game along on, on sort of Twitter uh, yesterday afternoon and seeing how well Sale had played in the first half and then just watching us sort of fall apart 
I think it's really disappointing. And I think it sets a very bad tone for the start of the season. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of people who say I'm being too negative. But I think we're going to look back in, in sort of April and March, much the way we did last season, and point to those games against Newcastle, against Quinns that we should have won. This is a game that we should have won or at least been more competitive. And I'm very, very concerned that all this talk about top six and top four challenges is just going to be empty rhetoric. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to argue too much with that. <laughs> um, as I said before we, we got started, I'm going to force myself to be in the let's not panic camp just yet. Um, and I think that's quite a big thing to say, seeing as I was there. Um, and, you know, the, I think that the main thing is, is that in the first half, I mean, we should have been at half time reasonably clear, at least seven points ahead. Quinns didn't play beyond about three phases for the whole of the first half and we scored 24 points um, and it was just impossible to understand how that happened I mean they just basically fed off our own mistakes um, but in terms of going forward in terms of the set piece I was looking at it and thinking this game is there for the taking um, and Alex sent a whatsapp saying exactly that I think at half time and it was it was we'd been the better side but somehow went in under but as always with these things you know, as I said in the pre, on the preview, confidence is quite a lot. And then when you go in down by four points at half-time, you know, the first score is quite important. And unfortunately, Quinn's got the first couple of scores and then we chased the game. And then it was like the, Le- the Leicester game um, all over again, really, yeah. because we started chasing the game then and making loads and loads of mistakes. Do you think we've sort of almost stalled, if not gone backwards over the summer, purely because... The signings we've made have been good, but we haven't actually got any of them, really, to start the season. Um, and then I just think we haven't strengthened in positions where we knew that we might need to strengthen. Like, I remember watching AJ go down and thinking, shit, if he, go, if he goes, then we are, we're back to a season of Sam James at 10. And it is just, you know, there are areas in our squad that we needed to strengthen over the summer and we haven't really we've we've just sort of coasted along so I do I do agree with you on on that that it is a bit concerning the only thing I would say is that number one Leicester got beat by more than us so it could it really could be worse you could be a Leicester fan but, just got battered 40 points but, they're, but they're playing away at one of the at one of the definitively best teams in the country and, and maybe even Europe this is the you know Exeter finished were runners up last year weren't they and going to Sunday Park is notoriously difficult. And it is disappointing for Leicester, but at the same time, I think it's fair to say if you'd asked before the game, a lot there, there won't be a lot of Leicester fans expecting Tigers to beat Chiefs at Chiefs. Whereas in this instance, Quinns, they're supposed to be rebuilding. Sale are supposed to be pushing on for the top four after coming close to the top six last year. I, I get exactly what you mean, and it's great not to be at the bottom of the table after, <laughs> after round one. But at the same time, it is frustrating because... You know, you can't use Leicester being being below us as a sort of a sign for optimism when really no one was expecting Leicester to be Exeter, whereas we probably should have been Quinns. Yeah, but I think the thing with this game was that we were playing Quinns at Quinns on a really dry track on a lovely day, and as much as Quinns have got new management and stuff, and there's a bit of a new manager effect as well, even though they've had a pretty horrible preseason. Um, but what Quinns' strength? is running rugby in a sort of open game on a dry track. And I think we've lost a bit of strength in that area with Hayley and Addison going, and we haven't really replaced it. Because you look at who we've got now, and 
Yard is brilliant on that kind of track, unsurprisingly, given he was at Gwyn's for many years. But Sam James and Luke James are more, I think, Luke James definitely winter players. You know, we have James Phillips in the second row. That's We were always going to... I thought we were absolutely blowing in the second half. I don't, James will be able to tell you in more detail because he was there. But from what I've watched, we started blowing in the second half. And that's because we were on a, on a dry track against a team that loves to run the ball from everywhere. So there's a bit of a fitness issue. But also, if you could have picked any time to play Quinns, I really think first game of the season on a lovely day is one of the worst because, you know... No one, we didn't know what they were going to be like, and it's ideal conditions for their sort of play. So that's, you know, we were in such a half time, and it's really concerning how much we started to blow in the second half and how easily they got through our defence. Um, but the season won't be like this, you know, that we won't be playing teams at the exact conditions they want us to play them. So I think I bounce back against Worcester, and we'll be all right. But it is. It's a disheartening start purely because of the scoreline. I think even if Danny Kerr can suddenly throw NFL passes to assist tries, but anyway. Well, there was a key moment in the, in the game, which was six minutes before half time, and uh, we'd gone seventeen ten up and actually come come from behind. And at that point, the crowd was really turning. It was completely silent. Everyone around me was going, "Oh bloody hell! Same old Quinns. It's going to be the same as last year." You know, sort of like clean slate for five minutes, but you know the crowd were really starting to turn on the team. And frankly, they did look average. I mean, they looked really, really average. And I just thought, oh, well, Sailor just playing their way into the game. And we then did something that we did too frequently last year, which was conceded twice in very, very quick succession. We conceded two tries in that six-minute period just before half time. If we held out then, then it would have been a very, very different game because the pressure would have been on the Quinns players. Instead, they found themselves four points up at half-time and then got a penalty, basically, from kick-off. And, you know, it, 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 then the pressure came on to us to play our way back into the game. We played a couple of mistakes. Quinn's got a couple of, you know, runaway tries. And, and before, then they relaxed then. Then, they, you know, Danny Care was able to be pulling silly faces at people while scoring a try and all the rest of it. And it's amazing how quickly it really all turned. The second key point in the game was... We were 14 points down already, but we were camped down on their line. We had a couple of scrums and a couple of line-outs. Um, and there was three penalties in the red zone in a row in the space of about three or four minutes. And the referee didn't give any other card and we didn't score a try. And then from there, it, we, it was, just became a horror show uh, because Quinn's got a penalty on their own line and cleared the lines and then went on and scored quite a few tries. So they, they were the key moments in, in, in the game. I don't think... You know, we, we suddenly looked like a terrible side. You know, like the first half, like we, we looked like an, an all right side and I thought we could go on and win it. it. We just fell apart a bit mentally chasing the game again. That's the worry. You know, where's the leadership? Where's the, the calm? You know, like, let's just all chill out here. We we're 14 points down. Get a try there. Suddenly, you know, we're only one try, another try away from a, um, lose, a try bonus and then we would have been within seven points. And actually... You know, taking two points from Quinns, I probably could have got head around that. Because um, yeah. that would have at least been one more than the previous season. Let's not forget that last season we did walk away with a try bonus point from Quinns. So if we're comparing like for like year on year, we are a point behind where we were last year. Um, on the blowing in, um, thing in the second half, no doubt about that. Losing Tom Curry in the first five minutes was a nightmare for us. Because we then brought on Strauss 
whose legs are all strapped up like I've never seen before. <laughs> so I don't know if he's sort of just still carrying knots or, or, or what have you, but clearly that was not ideal. But the moment where it was clear that the management decided it's all about beating Worcester at home next week and it's too far to come back this week is when we took off Bryn Evans halfway through the second half. Because James Phillips, by then, couldn't run. I mean, he was absolutely knackered and we left him on for 80. So we, we, we knew at that point, you know, and the players must have known. The players must have known if there was a sniff of getting a result, even if it was two points, any points, Bryn Evans would have stayed on the pitch because he ran off. So he might have dodgy ribs, but he ran off to be substituted. Meanwhile, James Phillips was like mouth-to-mouth at every ruck just to keep him going. Because uh, James Phillips had a good first half. Um, he almost pushed Luke James over and we scored. McGinty scored his try from that. Uh, but yeah, he was. I mean, there was no point having him on the pitch by the end. And then the final point I want to make, uh, seeing as Lewis has been on his rants, um, is we, I think we do have to ask the question about whether pre-season is working for us. I mentioned it last time. So we've had the last two years, we've played two pre-season games and then have basically had two weeks off before the first game. And we've now lost both games. Okay, they're both away from home, so they're, they're tricky. But I think we have to say, you know, Quinn's basically stumbled to beating Ealing at home, like, you know, last weekend. But maybe it just gave them the kick that they needed. Um, and then all the chat in the press about Quinn's have had a poor pre-season, Sale are going to nick this away. And uh, they came out fighting, wanting to impress a new coach. But just going off what you were saying, um, James, before, I think the sort of key moment for me was that we'd had that sort of double blow right before half time and obviously gone in 24 20 down. And then obviously, then to then concede straight after half time and, and, and be uh, down 27 20, and then seven minutes later, or 49 minutes, be down 30 20 was really disheartening because that's when you sort of began to see the game slipping away from us. However, the fact that we then, straight after Marcus Smith's penalty, were able to pull three points back, I remember sort of thinking, whilst I was just following along on my phone, maybe this is the chance, you know, just keep it close, you know, for 10, 15 minutes, you know, let the game ebb and flow a little bit, and maybe we'll be in with a chance. And I think it's the fact that we did well, and we, we sort of, we, I mean, it's the same as the Quinns game last year, we, within the space of about 15, 20 minutes, we conceded 20 points. And after that, we're always playing catch-up. But the fact that we then pulled three points back and then just never came close to scoring again is, 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 so, is so frustrating because you know, we start well, we have a wobbly 20 minutes either side of half-time, we sort of look like getting back into it and then just completely fall off. And I think you're absolutely right. There does have to be questions asked about pre-season. If, if, if we have professional rugby players for, the, again, a, a sort of a sensibly mid-to-top-table mid team uh, who you know, can't play the full 80 minutes and who are struggling to, to, to perform at a competent level after 50 or 55, then I think big questions have to be asked, A, of the coaches in their selection process, because I think James Phillips for this sort of game was a, a, an interesting choice, if, if not a downright wrong one. The, the fact that we didn't choose to use Josh Beaumont, who is a much better sort of ball carrier, who is quicker, who is much better suited to that sort of like hard ground, um, sort of fast-paced game, rather than Phillips, I think was disappointing. Um, and then obviously the fact uh, as well that you know is two pre-season games enough? Are, are players coming to the season match fit? Because if 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 you're if you're right and this this was what was sort of helped us sort of capitulate in the in, in the second half, then there does have to be a big question asked about what exactly we're doing um, in the sort of like three, four, five weeks before the season starts. Because this is what about the fourth or fifth year in a row where we started away from home and we've lost every single game. And and that, that frankly is not good enough for a team that's supposed to be improving. Alex, 
I I wonder whether in sort of on the theme of is there something wrong with our preseason? What is our approach to away games? Like, how is it that this team is so competent at home and so dreadful away? What are we doing? Are we travelling down there on the day and they're all knackered? Like, there must be something that's like. It, we're a club with a load of cash now, so if we're going to spend two hundred grand on Ashton's wages, that's two hundred grand over the season. That surely we can put towards having some decent facilities, so that when we go away, I I think there must be something in it because the the whole playing away now pitches are pitches are decent. The only thing is, it's either mental in terms of the attitude when the crowd gets on the back and stuff. Or there's something wrong in our preparation, but I do think that needs to be looked at. I'm I'm glad you mentioned this because I I, I genuinely believe this is a culture problem, and I think it starts at the top with Dimes. And I I sort of go back and forth on whether Steve Diamond is is the right man for the club. And I'm not saying just after this this result, you know, Diamond Diamond should be out. I think Diamond has done some fantastic stuff with Sale, especially when we're on a shoestring budget during the Brian Kennedy years. But my concern is it is clear that Sale's coaching staff from the top down to, to the physios, they, they place a priority on winning certain away games. And, that, and that, that's fine. You know, we were sort of saying, you know, to be a top six team, you've got to win most of your home games and just prioritise winning, you know, you know, winning four or five against the lower teams. That, that, that's absolutely fine. But I think the problem is, for years now, Diamond has operated, you know, shoestring budget, you know, small, smaller squads in the Premiership. You know, we've got to really, like, prioritise which games we can compete in. But the thing is, that is still happening now, even after we've been, we, we've been uh, under new ownership for, for two, nearly three years. And the problem is, if we're a team that is going to be in the top six and paying, like you said, £200,000 for players like Chris Ashton and, and, and bringing these big money signings in, why are we still acting like this small tin pot team that has you know, no cash and no resources and oh, oh woe, is, oh, woe is us, the home county teams have, have more resources and a better place to compete? Because I think, I genuinely believe there is something happening at Cell where Diamond is going in on game weeks against... Probably Quinns, actually, to be fair, but you know, against Worcester and Irish, uh, Irish and Bristol and and whoever else in that sort of like lower echelon, and saying, okay, this is the away game we have to win, and then when we go away to Newcastle, uh, sorry, when we go away to uh, Leicester or uh, Exeter or Gloucester, they're saying, oh well, you, you know, you know, oh, we're a small team, we can't really compete, you know, just just see, you know, just go out there and, and see what you can get, and that is absolutely wrong, and I, I genuinely think it's a culture thing, and the problem is if you've if you've got the coaching staff telling you, you know, acting like this, and I can see James looking a bit dismissive. But you can go back and, and look at some of the look at some of the interviews that Dimes has pre and post game, and he, he says it explicitly, you know, especially sort of three or four years ago. But he says things like, you know, we can't compete, we don't have the resources, we have to prioritise winning our home games. It's all about winning a eight or nine home games and picking up a few scrappy wins on the road. He he literally says these things, and I think that culture has persisted to the point now where even where. We are a very different club with a very different group of players and very different objectives. We're still putting a priority on certain away games. And I think the problem is, is that if this sort of culture is sort of bleeding through to the players about how it's just all about home form and all about winning games at home, then no wonder that we have mental difficulties when we play away and we capitulate and we, we can't cope with the pressure of, of, of playing away from the AJ belt. And I think, obviously, I know it seems, about, it seems a lot of conjecture and a lot of hearsay, Obviously, there's no definitive way to prove it, but I think that if if you go back and look at the pattern that emerges in terms of Dimes' interviews pre and post match and what the players say and how they act, I think it, there is a definite problem, and it should have been stamped out two years ago. And the fact that it's still having an effect on how how we perform mentally 
in in the games that we should be winning is very very concerning. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't. I'm not being dismissive of your point at all. I think um, clearly, if you're losing away from home the way we have over the last few years, you've got to look at look at it and our approach and our mentality. Of course, no, we should leave no stone unturned when it comes to this. But I would like, you know, I think it is more of a, a pressure thing. Like, you know, if we start getting behind, and the, you know, I think we're not the only team that struggles away from home. No, you know, no, it is tough. It is tough. And uh, you know, being a, being a fan away from home is difficult. It is difficult for the players when stuff starts going against you. A few decisions go go against you a little bit. I feel um, you know the crowd gets on the referee's back. He starts going with the home crowd, and and it is it is a bit difficult. And then you know, Quinns was a good example. They got a bit of momentum, and then almost like the atmosphere it was rocking. You know, and I think that makes it difficult mentally for for players to to come back. So a, I don't think we're the only team that has, has, has struggled on this. B, I wouldn't lay the door just solely at, at Steve Diamond on it, but I do agree that, of course, they should be looking at the way we approach our away games and see whether the status quo is getting the result that they weren't, which it isn't, and therefore I would suggest a change in approach if the status quo is not uh, sorting itself out and different outcomes. Let's um, let's go a little bit more granular on this game then and, and sort of hopefully wrap it up and, and, and not try and sort of... <laughs> Uh, sort of fester any sort of negativity ahead of the Worcester game. Um, but looking back at the game, Alex, and then I'll come to you first. I mean, what what sort of struck you? What why? Apart from you know the, the mental pressures and and um, sort of Sale just failing you know to string passes together and basic errors. Where where did Sale sort of lose this game for you? You know, can can we sort of point to any particular theme that emerged in terms of? how Sale were playing, how they're performing, were there any particular areas that Harlequins just simply got the better of Sale? It'd be really interesting to sort of like, and maybe sort of look at a couple of individuals who, who might not have performed up to standard. I just think there's a, the, it is sort of almost a culture thing, I guess, not really a culture thing, but Sale have this tendency to, especially when we're away from home, if one try goes in, you almost feel like, We've got to really tighten this up over the next 20 minutes, otherwise it'll turn into a bloodbath. And it just it, it happened so many times last season. The Newcastle away game was a particular highlight where we conceded four tries within 20 minutes. Yeah. Like, in a game that was billed as being a massive one. And you just look and you go, this is not the team that... Because so there are times when our defence is just... Like Gloucester last season at home, our defence was immense. We didn't really do anything other than defend and intercept their passes and yet we put 50 points on them. But they had so much of the ball and we just didn't get through. And yet, you know, at times like this, it just it is that people start falling off tackles, people find holes really easily, we can't slow the ball down at the breakdown, so the other team just got the momentum going and going and going. And I think, you know, that it's just that whole, it's a whole team thing. Uh, something changes where we become a revolving door in defence. And that was the key for me. Our attack looked decent in the first half and we didn't really get any chance to attack them, you know, properly in the second half. But it was just, it's just when you see them, I mean, even their first try, they just ran through players because Denny's having a fight with Mike Brown in the corner and everyone else, no one's slowing the ball down at the rook and then they just get a quick ball and we three people fall off the tackle. And it's just like, you know, you've got to be switched on away from home, and I think that's our issue. You can, you can, we we do switch off in games, and you can kind of get away with it at home. But away, you just the other team will get on top of you. So individual missed tackles were a real 
downer of the game, I think. Yeah, that was a proper annoyance for me. Well, before we came on to do the podcast, I, I sort of watched the extended highlights again, and I, I wanted to sort of like pick out uh, who was sort of at fault for, for the tries. Obviously, I know there's, there's a lot of different passages of play, but it was really concerning that we just had instances where usually dependable members of the squad were falling off tackles, as if you know, as, as if they were schoolboys playing against men. And it was, you know, it was John O'Ross, it was Luke James, it was Rob Webber. The, you know, these are very sort of dependable members of the squad. And to see the way, you know, the, the, it's frustrating because Ben, uh, ben um, is it Tap- Ben Tapawai, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Ben, ben yeah. Tapawai is obviously yeah. a very sort of abrasive, powerful runner. And you can understand the sort of concepts where he might be able to run over someone like Luke James or Byron McGuigan. But I think you watch, if you go back and watch the tries and, and sort of watch the concepts in which they form, it is a, it is a case of one missed tackle and the through. Whereas it, it, even if they'd just been able to slow down, there was enough support to, um, there, there would have been enough support to sort of like counter the threat and just slow the ball down and just reset the Queen's attack. But it's the fact that Tapawai you know, literally runs through Luke James. Uh, you know, the massive hole, especially in the second half. Um, Josh Beaumont, Rob Webber, you know, not not setting themselves in a line properly. And I think it was um, Joe Marchant's try in the end uh, that starts with Marcus Smith getting the ball in the pocket. And there is a huge gap in the cell defence. So you just run straight through, offload, offload. And then it's a case of sort of like uh, rumbling over a couple of phases later. And it is just so concerning that it was just basic things like, basic errors, Sam James knocking the ball on from um, from a restart. That that just cost Sale. And you, and again, we go back to the pre-season. If this is the fundamentals that Sale are struggling with and fundamentals and fitness, what, what on earth are they working on? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, a lot of the things you've described, you can't blame, I don't think you can blame the coaches like straight up. I mean, no, no, not at all. Professional rugby players should be able to, to action some of this sort of stuff. I mean, in, ter- in terms of negatives, I'll start with negatives and then I'll move on to some positives yeah, to maybe yeah. carry forward into the rest of the discussion. <laughs> um, I was worried to see Solomona used to truck it up um, as much as he did. Um, I think maybe they're thinking maybe Luke James not quite physically developed, still a young lad. 1920, Sam James isn't a bosher either, so maybe they do need a ball carrier in the middle. But I don't think that's where he's going to be most effective. That's the mistake that Saints made with George North for so many years. So I hope that that's not something that will continue when Jennings is fully match fit or uh, Van Rensburg is back. Um, it was good to see Jennings back. Um, he was only played sort of 20 minutes of the game, was lost by the same time he came on, but um, he looked up for the fight. Um, so that that's potentially good good news. Um, tackling our own twenty two was just really really poor. We we turned over the ball far too often, and, and Twins were scoring from sort of third or fourth phase. You know they weren't having to really really work through it. We just missed these one up tackles. John Ross, Rob Webber, really unusual. Um, yeah. But and, and it clearly, I think it really shocked the team almost that it was those guys who missed missed the tackles. The line out wasn't what it should be. It wasn't dreadful. Um, but it wasn't um, as well as we, we've been used to with Weber and Evans. Um, and actually, it, it slightly improved a little bit with Neil and Beaumont, which I was not expecting <laughs> at all. Still wasn't where it needed to be, um, to be fair. Scrum was good throughout the game, even when we were on the back foot at the end. Uh, we, we When the game was lost, we, we managed to take off Ross Harrison's hope he's fully fresh for, for Worcester. We weren't good under the high ball, full stop, really. Um, Sam James dropped something off kickoff. McGuigan knocked on a couple completely with nobody anywhere near him um, at all. Um, 
But positives, as I said, I've said the scrum. I've said it was good to see Jennings back. Um, McGinty and Yard were absolutely brilliant in the first half. Marlon Yard was the best player on the pitch by a considerable distance in the first half. I mean, obviously he was up for it against his old uh, his old team. Um, he had an illegal tackle with no with no arms, shoulder to, you know shoulder charged him into touch. Nothing happened at all. Um, but he got back up and was running the ball back with Venom. I mean, they were really struggling to pull him down. Um, and I thought um, Will Cliff was was superb first and second half, even behind going backwards. He was he was good under the high ball. He was the only one who could catch the ball when it was going up in the air. Um, and yeah, his box kicking was good. His covering tackle was good. His, his, his speed off the, the base was good. So I saw a tweet very early doors saying, oh, we really missed Bath. I mean, our, our best player was our scrum half. Um, uh, on 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 Saturday, it was nothing to do with nothing to do with that. But clearly, you know, it would be nice to have brought the clerk off the bench. Just like um, you've noticed, Lowe came off the bench for uh, Bath. Uh, Juan Fagadjigo has come off the bench for for Saracens. So other teams are getting their um, rugby championship players back. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Cliff actually because obviously going into the season, uh, you know, you can quote me on this from the season preview pod. I was very sort of down on Wilcliffe's ability to sort of propel sail in the early season whilst whilst the clerks around. And I must admit, actually, yeah, in terms of looking at players who, who did uh, sort of co- sort of cover themselves in in what little glory there was to be had, I thought Wilcliffe did have a uh, a very sort of strong game. I think and his sort of link up play with yard for yards try was superb. And obviously that leads me on to Marlon Yard, who who was superb. Um, very class, and, and, and to be honest, you know, it was a bit disappointing because he was getting sort of uh, very vehemently booed by the Quinns fans. I thought he um, he took his try with with sort of class, and you know, didn't, you know, sort of didn't didn't celebrate and didn't antagonise the crowd. I thought that was um, that was quite um, quite well. To be, to be perfectly honest, for someone who's often um, sort of branded this sort of immature or you know not a team player label, I thought he handled it with with a lot of maturity. And I think it was sort of it was an indicator that you know he, he handled that occasion very very well. And I think that was a credit to, to himself and the club. Um, McGinty sort of looks like he's just kept going from from last season. Uh, I thought the way he took the, took the try actually um, when it when it came out to him was superb. You know, <laughs> sidestep Danny Kerr into next week. You know, and just went straight over. It was a really nice bit of play. And obviously he he uh, compiled eighteen out of sales, uh, twenty three points. Um, and that's sort of unfortunately where where it ends. I think we sort of got found out a little bit with Luke James and Sam James both both sort of raw. The defence just just wasn't there in the midfield, and that was obviously really easy. Um, that was just very very sort of easy games for for Harlequins. It would have been interesting to see how how it compared with with Van Rensburg. Didn't see anything of Denny Solomon. By all accounts, he was he was pretty anonymous and and sort of really struggled to get himself into the game. I, 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 as much as I like Byron McGuigan's versatility, I think the sort of very basic errors uh, that he was committing sort of highlight just how important it is to get Chris Ashton or James O'Connor back as soon as possible. Because I think what whilst he came to sale as a 15 slash winger a couple of seasons ago, he's very much now in his best form when he is playing on the wing. And I think he looks he looked very sort of raw um, and sort of uh, out of practice playing at 15. And I, I think that that could be a concern for, for, for sale going forward. In terms of the pack, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't really able to sort of um, see anything from, from what I had been able to watch the game. But um, interesting to see Cam Neald um, get get a chance as the uh, as the backup to now with with Mark Jones leaving. And interesting as well that actually that uh, Alex Taros was the backup loose head. And this this is sort of a, uh, something I'm not very sure about at all because when Taros signed, he was signed as a tight head who could play loose head. And when Joe Jones signed, I was under the impression that he'd been signed as a loose head who could play tight head. And it seems like the moment 
it's a case of with James Flynn not being available, Alex Taros, who by all accounts is is a is a is a more renowned tight head, uh, is, is sort of being forced into that back role with Harrison because we've not been able to sort of side anyone um, as a replacement and. I mean, I, I still think the jury's out on Joe Jones. I don't know what, what what he's going to be like as a player in the in the long run, but obviously it is a big shame that we can't have our probably our second best tight head in that role, and we're having to sort of send him across um, to to lose head and sort of um, and sort of weak weaken that area, especially with a very inexperienced hooker as well um, in in Cam Neal, who obviously hasn't got a lot of Premiership uh, minutes under his belt playing hooker. Um, Alex, yeah. I'd- Virtually agree with it all, mate. I just thought we'd um, we'd do some three-word reviews so that you can chill out. I feel like you're quite stressed about it all, mate. I, I honestly do. I, it is, you know what? It's my own fault. I shouldn't have got too excited for the start of the season. Yeah. I, I, I should have known better. This is what I mean about cell fans. We, we sort of delude ourselves into thinking everything's going to come up roses for us, and then we sort of come, you know, sort of crash down back to earth with the real, uh, with a sort of a very sort of hard bump. It'd be nice actually if we started next season uh, with a with a home game for a change because I, I am just sick of starting the season by getting battered away at Wasps or at Saracens or whoever we're playing. It is, uh, yeah, it's getting a bit frustrating. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so I reckon we'll go on to three word reviews and we'll write a letter to the Premiership Rugby officials. Oh, that's nicely. Yeah. That um, so we'll we'll do that. We'll get. Uh, I mean, let's get a petition going. We've got. We hit over a thousand followers over. This time, <laughs> I think got enough sway at this point. Um, so we've asked for your three-word reviews as we did last season. We've done it live this time, so I'm reading these as they come in. Um, ben Sweeney with a cracking opening one. Craig, Oxygen Thief, Keys, um, which which I like to lead with. Gary Wilson, Don't Judge Yet, um, very much in the non-Lewis Hughes camp. Nick Fogarty, No, Not Again. Matt Sansbury, School by Errors, which I think is probably right, although I reckon... He could go with schoolboys one word and give himself an extra word there, but who am I to judge? Um, Perry's gone for Marcus Smith masterclass, which I think is quite generous for Marcus Smith, given that we basically, I mean, you know, you could have put anyone in a ten. I could have played ten in that game uh, and done the job. Um, Benjamin Rush is much like Lewis, new fan, disgusted. Not a new fan, but disgusted. Bit. Lad and Dad signed some forwards. Um, Max Boyle stunningly bad officiating. I can we chat about the officiating after I finish this because I yeah, of course it's very hot on the on the highlights package that BT put together because you know that they're never going to pick controversial bits. Martin Whiteley still pre-season and Richard Warden and Mountain to climb. So generally, mostly pretty negative, mate. I think you'd be happy with the uh, the overall negativity despite. Uh, a little bit of positivity in there. Yeah, I mean, there's only there's only a couple that I sort of take issue with. Again, obviously, I made very clear my thoughts on it's never too early. Um, so let's let's let, let's not try and uh, forgive a performance like that by saying, oh, it's only the first week because it it's it's four points, it's four points, it's four points. Um, and I think obviously, well, yeah, okay. Let, let's go on to the officiating because I think whilst there were some uh, interesting calls, I don't know whether or not we can blame this this sort of defeat solely on the referee. But but convince, convince me otherwise. No, 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 I, I, I agree. Um, 
I think there are a couple of dodgy ones I saw. Um, the Danny Kerr um, quarterback throw to Marcus Smith being a personal highlight, not even checking it, which is good. Um, but other than, I, we definitely can't blame it on the referee at all. I just wonder, I wanted to get James's views on to what extent that sort of changed the game, because it's very hard to get a feel from the highlights of how, you know, because often those decisions can change the momentum, and by no means am I suggesting that, um, that it was the reason we lost, and I don't think a good referee would have changed it. But I just wondered, because there was a lot of chat on Twitter about the ref not being very good, so I thought we should speak to somebody who watched it. I think there's a lot of historical stuff there. I think we probably had a bit of a rough time with Maxwell Keys, and I think a lot of people have taken that into this. Um, frankly, we probably got as much as Quinn's. Like it was quite even for most of the game. Like the, I thought the Yardy try, you know, I thought there was maybe one or maybe even two forward passes in there that at least deserved to be checked. Definitely. Um, we, Tom Curry should have been simbined. When it, well, because he got stretched off, he wasn't. Um, it could have even been a red card, actually. Um, it, it, so uh, basically, he got stretched off and he didn't get a card. So we got away with with, with that. Um, and then there was only one part of the, the, the time where there was three professional fouls from Quince stopping potential tries on their own try line um, in the second half. Um, and there should have been at least one yellow card, and, and uh, you know we were entering into penalty try territory, in my view. And uh, then of course Quinn's got the penalty, so that's the only moment where I thought there was poor officiating that affected us. But by then we were 14 points behind. So I mean, you know, the, 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 the influence on the game of the referee was mostly uh, evened out. He made poor calls, probably, but on both both sides. So he's maybe consistently bad. I don't know. Uh, it wasn't obvious, being sitting in the crowd, that he was having an influence on the outcome of the game. The main thing was we got ourselves behind when we should have been ahead, and then we sort of rabbit in the headlights, tried to chase the game. Quinns were, you know, scoring tries off turnover ball from one or two phases. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did mention Marlon. Yeah, and to be fair, I think that was a very sort of um, well, well-rounded sort of assessment of of the officiating because I think looking back at the highlights. That Malignard pass to Will Cliff it is forward. I think it's close, don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not particularly egregious, but I think that one is forward. And then as you mentioned, Alex, uh, that Danny Kerr pass to, to um, Marcus Smith, you described it off-air off as uh, <laughs> as an NFL throw. And it, and it was. It was ridiculous. I, d- I don't understand why you wouldn't even want to want, want to take a, take another look at it as, as the referee. Because I think the way, he, the, even, even the way he sort of throws it, <clears throat> sort of like with a sort of hand over the ball and sort of like a punch. Um, it, it just there's no way that would go backwards. The the, the motion the motion of Kerr's pass. There's nothing about it that would suggest it would be flat or, or go backwards. He's clearly just poked it around Sam James straight to Smith, and the fact that they didn't even check it was was concerning. But I think as as you said, James, overall the officiating was was fairly equal, and uh, like you said, Tom Curry could have been sent off. Quinn's probably should have had a man sent off. I think overall it was pretty fair, and, and at the end of the day, that, that that makes it a little bit worse trying to assess the game because you can't, you know, quite lazily blame some egregious referee errors as, as the reason why Sell lost. You have to sort of take a look at the performance as a whole. But let's forget about it now. It's week one of the, of the new Gallagher Premiership season is done. We're going to try and put a bow around all this negativity, and we're going to try and sort of think about uh, some more positive things, starting with. 
the, tr- uh, the arrival of Worcester Warriors to the AJ Bell for the first home game of sales season uh, next week. And we're going returning back to the 2017-18 format. And James has done his research on the opposition. Uh, hopefully slightly updated from last season. He just doesn't repeat the same things. Uh, and we're going to hear what he has to say about Worcester and what we can expect from them next week. I can't promise I'm not going to repeat the same things. The research stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He's not that much in depth. Um, I think for Worcester, things haven't actually changed that much. That's the truth. I think you know they went into last season thinking, well, it's us or Irish, and this season they're thinking us or Bristol. They might be thinking it's us or Sale, and thinking this is an eight pointer coming up next. Uh, no, sorry, positivity. <laughs> well, I um, no, I mean in all truth, you know we, we should be looking to get five points from this from this game. Um, I think we showed enough. Um, structure and attacking in an attacking sense in the first half. That you know, if we if things just go our way a little bit, you know, we could blow them away in the first half. Um, fingers crossed, that's what happens, and we can relax into the season. Then, in terms of Worcester, they acquitted themselves very very well at home last week against Wasp. They should have won. Um, I saw quite a bit of the extended highlights. They lost by a point to Wasps. Um, our very own Tommy Taylor scored a try towards the you know, the sort of final quarter of the game. And Billy Searle scored a, a penalty, which took the, which basically took Wasps ahead. So I think Wasp, Worcester will think feel hard done by, and be um, probably quite confident that they are competitive against the team like Wasps, who, although they're rebuilding a halfback, um, you know clearly are, you know will be aiming for top two this year, and that will be the targets they're setting themselves in the dressing room. So um, in terms of players. Their key players are basically the same as they they were last year. They've lost a couple of important players, so they've lost uh, Will Spencer and David Denton to Tigers. Uh, Will Smith, uh, Will Spencer in particular, um, is big second row, so they're going to lose his power up front. So we can see how because Worcester have always been traditionally strong set piece, um, you know, and in the close quarters around rucks and things like that. Losing someone like Spencer and Denton, how does it affect their ball carrying as well? Um, I'm not so sure. Who they have brought in is Duncan Weir at 10. And I think that's quite an astute signing, actually. Because if they are competitive enough up front, he is going to kick all of the goals. Um, and actually, you know, you know, they rely on Ryan Mills, really, at 12 to get their attacking game going. He's the distributor. So I, I expect to see Ryan Mills stepping in at first receiver um, off sort of third, fourth phase ball and him choosing the options. Um, they've got a really underrated back three, Worcester. Um, and they did well last year as well. Scored plenty of tries. Bryce Heems, big, strong lad. Josh Adams got his first Wales, Wales caps last year and play at, play at 15 or on the wing. And Chris Pennell's a really solid player, isn't he, at 15? I mean, he's not going to be dropping any high balls. Um, so, you know, I think with Ryan Mills putting them into the right spaces, and we're going to have to watch out for Francois Houard around around the fringes. Because he is he is rapid, a bit like Danny Kerr. You know, he can he can pull teams apart. Um, and then in terms of the the forward pack and the set piece, Nick Sh- um, Shonner, um, who's who's uh, in and around the England squad, is a really solid tight head. So in terms of you know Ross Harrison to do eighty, have to do eighty minutes against you know sixty minutes of Nick Shonner and then somebody else coming off the bench. That's going to be quite hard work for Ross, I'd say. Um, there we are. This, I'm quite worried 
Yeah, I mean, you've done a very, very good job of uh, sort of summarising Worcester and the, and the players that they have, and you've actually not even mentioned a couple, uh, a couple of big names. Um, not necessarily for this game, but but just for the season as a whole. Uh, Francois Venter, who signed from the Cheetahs, I believe. Um, obviously, he's a capped South African international play centre. He's a very, very exciting player, and someone I'm quite excited to watch in the in the, in the Premiership as a whole. Ben Teo didn't get a mention. Um, he's obviously had a terrible time with uh, injury last couple of seasons but when he's back and fit um, he's obviously a big danger man for them one of the one of the players that actually has gone under the radar a little bit but I wanted to um, give give a sort of a, a small mention to even if I'm going to horribly butcher his name is uh, Joe uh, Talfetti or Talfetti I'm, I'm yeah. not sure I'm not sure how it's pronounced okay. but he he's the currently he's the uh, the starting hooker for the USA national team and obviously as indicated by McGinty and Paul Lasicki and some of these other players who've, who've made the transition over um, that United States team is getting uh, sort of better every every year, and one and uh, Tafetti has been one of the catalysts um, for their sort of strong international showings in recent years. Obviously, over the summer, uh, the USA recorded a very sort of famous win over over Scotland, while Scotland were touring uh, were touring the states, and uh, Tafetti is just a, is one of the talismans of that team, and he's another player that uh, I think is going to be really important for Sale to sort of keep a lid on. Um, especially if he starts over Jack Singleton, who is also a very, very highly rated hooker. So it's going to be a really, really interesting game. Uh, on paper, you'd sort of think Sale would have the advantage. And again, Sale should be the sort of top six team and, and Worcester might be fighting for their lives. But I think when you start to really dig down, uh, if Sale aren't on their game, there are some very, very good players in this Worcester squad who could really make life difficult for Sale. So James, you're the one who's done all the prep, so I'm going to ask you first. If they are to win this game, what do they need to do, and what needs to change from the, from the Harlequins game uh, if they're going to get what is now a, already a much needed result against Worcester? So the first thing they need to do is not listen to this podcast, otherwise they're all <laughs> going to think that they're, they're sort of you know no longer professional rugby players. They just need to you know probably put the Quinton game out of their minds. To be perfectly honest, they need to try and switch that off completely, and they need to focus on doing the little things well. Right, so not knocking balls on, going through the phases, keeping hold of the ball, slowly getting into the game, gaining confidence. Yeah, because if we go through our phases and we 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 will score tries and McGinty will kick goals. So we just need to stay calm. Worcester aren't a team that are going to blow us away, right? Quinns have always had that in them. You know, fair bit of a fair weather team, lovely twenty four degrees, hard track, got ahead of us. We chased the game. Quinns had it in them to put fifty points on us. Worcester aren't ever going to do that, and they're away from home. Yeah, so let's just stay calm, go through the phases, and we should win the game. Alex, what what sort of change? Would you make any changes to the team that started against Harlequins in, in preparation of this Worcester game, knowing that the way the game will be played it will be very different, just by the nature of the fact that Seller at home and obviously Worcester, the team who are coming to play them, will will operate in a slightly different style to Harlequins. Um. To be honest, the changes I would make, I think we already did last week, I'd probably have James Phillips in for a bit of grunt up front, but I would then take him off after 40 or whatever, um, depending on how the game's going. I think the back line is, we've got to keep pace with that back line, because there's not really a lot I'd want to change. I think Jennings still needs a bit of time to come back, I would suggest, given that he didn't really do any pre-season. Um so you wouldn't really change any of that, and we are a bit limited in our options there anyway. Um, in the forwards, I assume Tom Curry will probably have a week off, um, given the way he came off 
I would think it'd be sensible to give him a week off. Um, so maybe we'll move Strauss to a starting position. I, I don't think there's a lot of change to be made. I still think the team we put out is approaching our best team. So we just need to keep a bit of faith and say to that I would, I would be saying to that team, go and show people that you're not a side who chipped 50 points. I mean, you've got to remember, we chipped 50 points the first game of last season. It was away at Wasps, so it was a different sort of game. But I remember sitting on the season preview going, Wasps had a rubbish summer of recruitment. I think they were there for the taking in this game, and we got battered. So, you know, the, the wheel turns, not a lot changes. Um, home against Worcester is a much easier game than home against Newcastle, I would suggest, given what Newcastle ended up doing last season. So, Let's keep the faith. Let's not panic. Let's not wholesale change. And hopefully, I think we should we should be okay. Um, I'm quietly confident. Do you think? So you sort of alluded to it before that this is sort of a, a, the, the best they'll have at the moment. The team that they played against Harlequins. Do you think that if there were to be changes, though, where where do you think? feasibly we, we could sort of bring players in and out of the sighting squad and not sort of lose their overall effectiveness or do you think this is the squad that say like quote unquote stuck with until Van Rensburg, Ashton O'Connor, De Klerk etc are all fit um, I think I'd consider Ostrakov in the second row I'm not really sure what happened there George Knott I think could offer something a bit different um, it's not a little, we are sort of almost bound by our small squad and loads of injuries and bands aren't we yeah. um, it's it's a bit frustrating because when you think you know you can't change 9 you can't change 10 at 12 you can have Luke James or Mark Jennings um, at 13 you've got Sam James on the wings we've got Denny Marlon Byron who's having to play at full back you know I, I just think we are so we, we've, we've almost been undone by our own sort of attitude to it where we have a small squad and we say we'll operate this and that's fine if no one gets injured or banned but yeah. you know when you when you buy players like Yard Ashton O'Connor um, then you play you, you walk in tightrope aren't you because you, you're buying players who've got a history of getting bans and then going ah oh, well we'll just operate a small squad it's like yeah um so I'd love to make changes, mate, but we actually can't. I think Van Rensburg could do a job against Worcester. But. <laughs> I think the, the only one for me that I potentially look at is uh, starting either Josh Bowen or Andrew Ostrakov in, in that second row. I had a quick look at the, at the weather forecast, um, just since that seems to dictate precisely how uh, how South can play nowadays. And uh, it looks like it's going to be reasonably dry, reasonably firm. Um, bit of rain in the morning but overall we should have decent conditions and I, I am concerned if we see a repeat of what happened against uh, Quinns at the weekend where it's an open game there's lots of running if there is going to be an issue with our pack not being mobile enough to compensate for the fast attacking rugby we get I, I was very surprised not to see Josh Beaumont start last week especially if Andre Ostakov injured I know Beaumont is a lighter option in the second row compared to Phillips and I know we have a very light pack overall but I think that's perhaps where Sale missed the trick last weekend by, by not just saying, this is our options, let's just go all all the way with the mobile pack, get our quickest, uh, lightest and fastest pack on, onto the pitch and just deal with whatever happens. Instead, we sort of tried to do both. We sort of had a very lightweight back row, but then tried to overcompensate in the, in the second row. And I think that might have been one of, one of the areas where we sort of 
uh, fell down. Obviously, not blame the, the the result on James Phillips. It's not his fault. That's just the composition of our pack. But I think it might be interesting to see, especially if Tom Curry's out, get Strauss in at eight, have Ben Curry, John Ross, Strauss in your back row, and then you don't necessarily need to have Phillips for the added grunt. You can just say, well, we're just going to play Beaumont alongside Evans. Uh, so give ourselves a few more line-out options and then give ourselves some sort of additional mobility, especially since we're not having to uh, sort of parachute by bulk into into the pack with uh, since we're not playing both Curry uh, twins. Uh, we actually neglected to do it last week, but we'll finish off the pod this week uh, by bringing back our predictions. I'm not sure who uh, who won at the end last year. I'm pretty pretty confident it was me, although I never uh, formally received a trophy or any sort of. Uh, uh, sort of certification, but I think overall, when we look back in ten years, we can say that I was the the inaugural winner of the of the predictions competition. So we did actually forget to do it last week, and thank you to the the users on Twitter who pointed that out. But we will be bringing it back this year, and uh, we probably should try and keep a keep a better track of it uh, 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 during twenty eighteen nineteen. Uh, so James, Cell versus Worcester, big big game, even in the early stages of the season. What's your prediction? So, keeping to my initial, I'm going to be in the not panic yet camp, I'm going to say that Sale are going to bounce back strongly here, and they're going to come out all guns blazing, Tom Curry's not going to knock himself out in the first five minutes, and uh, we're going to win 36-14. Okay, quite quite positive, Alex. I'm loving the optimism, I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to say um, 28 I think our defence is going to get whipped into shape this week. I think we we all seem to be sort of on the same page. I'm going to say 31-14 sale. I think this should hopefully be a nice, comfortable win. Settle the nerves. Let's get back into sort of middle six contention and just sort of steady the ship. Uh, and you'd like to think that this week there's going to be a lot of work on the fundamentals of tackling uh, <laughs> the opposition's 12 when he tries to run straight through you uh, and catching balls uh, without any sort of uh, comp- uh, competition around you. Let's just settle on the most basic things, get those right, and then I think on paper, even with a slightly depleted squad, sales should have enough to, to blow Worcester out of the water. Right, can we establish some rules for this prediction competition then, if you're going to start claiming wins? Um, I won it. I won it last year. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I don't need to claim anything. I, I objectively won. I, w- I want some official rules that I'm going to write down and hold you to. Okay. I've only changed that seven times. Right. Okay. Fine. Let's 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 let's, let's sell it now. Then. How how do you want to do it? Uh, um. Right. Should we go for a certain amount of points for exact score? Correct result is a certain amount of points. And I don't know what else that seems as. Uh, let's do three points for exact. Oh, no, we can't do exact score. No one's going to get exact score, are they? Maybe. You don't know, do you? I, I like all that right, idea. Right. Five points for exact score, two points for correct result. Um, just do that. And then. Do we think? I don't know. What, what happens if none of us get the correct result? Yeah, it's true. Do you want a winner? No points. Yeah, get no points. All right, yeah. all right. So, so, so in theory, if Sale beat Worcester next week, and none of us get the correct score, we all get two points each. 
Yeah, but I'd, I'd keep a track of points difference between actual and our and your expected points difference. Okay. And I'll have that as the uh, end of season differentiator. So right, the, okay. the tiebreaker. All right, fair enough. Yeah, right. And I'm, I'm holding you to that so that you don't start changing the rules. All right. Well, whilst you formally type up the rules for our. Uh, predictions competition James is there anything else that you'd like to discuss before we uh, say goodbye to the Shark Tank faithful for another week not at all but uh, keep keep the faith everybody everything's going to feel so much better this time next week I promise (laughs) (laughs) don't make promises you can't keep mate (laughs) Alex is there anything else that you'd like to say I just can't wait until we've scrapped to a 13-12 victory over Worcester at home and James has to come on and go, I told you it'd get me better. <laughs> oh, I, I take 13-12. No problem. No problem. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to stay on brand. I'm going to keep the faith. We're looking forward to a massive home game next week. It'd be great to get the AJ Bell rocking again uh, and we're all super excited. Um, fingers crossed. We'll be a lot more positive this time next week. But thank you once again for joining us. We're sorry that it couldn't be a slightly happier podcast. I'm sorry we had to dwell on so, so, so many negatives. But unfortunately, that's just part, part and parcel of being a self fan, isn't it? But thank you very much for listening. We appreciate everyone who's uh, said such positive things about the season review. Um, uh, sorry, season preview podcast. Uh, everyone who said sort of really positive things about sort of missing the podcast and you know getting excited for it to come back for the season. Uh, and finally just want to say a massive thank you to Alex McIntosh I know he doesn't listen to the podcast but if you don't know who that is that's who designed our wonderful new logo Uh, we're getting some other little bit sort of some other little creative bits mocked up over the course of the season Um, but yeah we want to say a massive thank you Tim and thank you uh, to everyone who has said such positive things about the logo we're really happy with it and I've been passing it along to him as well and he's delighted to hear it's got such positive feedback But thank you once again. I want to say a big thank you to Alex and James for joining me. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys after Worcester next week.